HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides. And we're going to have to say goodbye to Jack really soon because Jack Inslee, my beloved producer and friend, is leaving. Leaving the fallout shelter. the fallout shelter. No one gets out alive from the fallout shelter, Jack, but you will. But this, not this week, next week, right? Yep. Okay, so we have one more together. Yeah. Okay, so we won't cry it. Well, anyway, it's a very special day here in the Foodiness Fallout Shelter because, as you know, we don't often invite guests to visit us down here, down the rabbit hole. It's kind of a closed space, you know. This is like a solitary venture for me, saving the world from foodiness, and I kind of prefer to fight the battle alone. I mean, it's not that, like, I'm antisocial or anything, and anybody who wants to visit is welcome anytime. Just let me know. It's just that, you know, it's my show. It's my half hour, and I usually have um, a lot to say. But sometimes there are people who come along who have just as much to say as me and all the right things to say and say things that are so much like what I'm saying that you have to say, what? Who is this person? And that person is my friend Kate Edwards, who says and thinks the same way as me in a frighteningly consistent Manner and Kate is here today in the Foodiness Fallout fall Shelter with us live and in person. Hi, Kate. Erica. Hi. Hi. Happy to see you. Thanks. You too. Thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with us today. <coughs> what do you think of the Fallout Shelter? Well, it's very dark. But yeah. Very cozy. I love it what is, you've right? done with it. We redecorated last year. It looks great. I know. Looks good, right? It's all eco-friendly too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Passive solar and all that stuff. Now, Kate and I 
uh, were colleagues at the big culinary school where I used to teach. And she still kind of works there somewhat. But um, we didn't really get to know each other until I left and we were both hired on a consulting job because we we're consultants because that's, you know, what we do. And then we became fast friends because we have so much in common. And we have together um, worked to open and develop three different restaurants since then as consultants. And Kate um, joins us today to give us her expertise and her opinions and her thoughts on, what are we going to call it, serviciness, foodiness yeah. and service. Yeah, I like it. Serviciness, yeah. right? Or um, hospitality-ness. Yeah. I like that one. Um, so I'm going to read Kate's bio, which is very long, so everybody just get ready. Kate Edwards is a restaurant consultant, executive coach, author, and speaker. Known for her innovative approach to customer service, Kate has worked with some of the biggest names in the hospitality field, including the Plaza Hotel, Le Cirque, Il Buco, Brooklyn Fair, and the Viceroy, among others. As coach, Kate focuses her practice on entrepreneurs and their teams, primarily chefs, and helps them to accomplish their goals and realize their potential. Kate's first book, Hello and Every Little Thing That Matters, was published earlier this year and is a customer service book for any small business owner in or out of the hospitality world. She's also a contributing blogger for the Huffington Post and is a frequent speaker at events large and small. She's also a very good friend of mine, and we also share a love of tiny things, sardines, and sea otters. So, Kate, welcome again to the Foodiness Fallout Shelter. Thank you. Let's get this party started. Happy to be here. So you're a management and hospitality expert, basically. That's what they say. Yes, I think so. You're also like my model of like mature grown-up lady. Oh, when I think, uh huh. Because in my mind, I'm still like 22. You're not? No. Well, I look like I am, (laughs) but um, I always think, oh, Kate's like mature grown-up lady. But anyway, we were uh, on the train last week going to our most recent restaurant job in Ridgewood, New Jersey, White Maple Cafe. Delicious. Delicious. So good. In the suburbs and really good. Not that there's anything wrong with the suburbs. And we were talking about how foodiness infiltrates service. How the sort of standards of, of service have become this very sort of like mediocre, sort of watered down, very corporate influenced um, style of hospitality. And um, you were telling me about an article that you read that... Um, was about what about encouraging waiters to do what to like personalize their service? Yeah, in order to <coughs> excuse me, in order to make more tips, this article advised people to do a number of things based on customer feedback. And the feedback they got was, well, if you kneel on one knee so that you're eye level with the customer, that will bring you a higher tip. Oh and then if you do things like sign the check with thank you and you put hearts where, you know, uh, the exclamation points would be. Oh or if you say, like, if I wrote my name Katie so I could have an I there and put a heart on top of the I. Oh. Those are things that are very, very endearing Excuse to Excuse me while I throw up. And then if you are a female, if you put barrettes and sparkly things in your hair, that also will help you make more money. Really? This is what customers said they wanted from their servers. That's appalling. I was pretty horrified. It's like, first of all, the down on one knee thing to me, it's like you're, it's like, you're like a supplicant. It's like you're getting down on your knees to beg yeah. for something. Yeah. Because it, it's not really that you're at eye level. It's that you're now below them, even right. though they're seated. And so you give that the customer this idea that they're large and in charge. And that makes me want to throw up. And right. the barrettes and sparkly stuff is like this infantilizing of these female employees. Yes. Making them into like Hello Kitty. Yes. Hello Kitty, who has no mouth, by the way. Right. 
She doesn't speak. No. Because she she's a girl. Doesn't need to speak. She has no opinions right. on anything. Wow. So do you think that that sort of approach is really geared more toward the suburban big chain restaurants? Um, that wouldn't fly it per se. That wouldn't fly anywhere, <laughs> anywhere in New, New York. York. It wouldn't fly at Roberta's. It would yeah, be like, right? what is wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's very interesting because we have this idea of what a server should be in in big cities, right? A server is somebody who has some authority. They have knowledge. Um, they might be even somewhat worldly. They can talk mm-hmm. about different topics. A polished then, professional. Right, yeah, this professional type of person. And then when you get out of the city, it's... You're, it's a second-class job. Yeah. And so you really have to try to wow people with these other ideas of hospitality and quotes so that they can, I guess, treat you well or treat you monetarily well. So I'm not really sure what the payoff is there. Wow. I wonder... Uh, we were talking about this on the train. Like, what is it? Is it that... Is it across the board outside of cities in, you know, your local diner, your big theme chain restaurant, and your higher-end place? I mean, I guess the majority of restaurants out in the suburbs now are those big theme sort of corporate chain restaurants. Right, right. Is it that the people who go to eat in those have less experience in the fine dining world? And so they're sort of like, well, I'm going out for this meal and I'm the big macher, like the big spender. And I want this person to wait on me literally. Probably. I mean, for most people, no matter what level you're at, dining out is a treat. Right. Dining out is something that's fun to do or feels like you're you're doing something nice for yourself. So, yeah, I think even if you're, you know, spending whatever five dollars on a you know some sort of meal somewhere yeah exactly (laughs) um you still it's still a treat and you want something back for that uh experience um so you know every week for the show i do a facebook post and i i admitted something that from my past that i told almost nobody ever in my life which is that there was a very very dark period in my life where i waited tables at tgi fridays what have i never told you this in Only all of recently. our conversations. Only recently. Yeah. It was quite a shock. Yeah, huh? It's amazing they even hired me, considering my, you know, somewhat dour, cynical ways. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> it was like a very, <laughs> it was in the early 90s. It was a recession. I had gotten out of college. I didn't know what I was going to do. I needed a job. I was, it's too bad we weren't friends back then because I was looking for a job. Nobody would hire me because I had this kind of like depressed schlumpiness about me. <laughs> I was not a polished professional. And I had a friend, and his boyfriend was working at the TGI Fridays by Madison Square Garden. He was like, oh, oh I think man. I can get you hired at one of the branches. And so I was like, okay. And I got hired, and I worked at the – I don't think it's there anymore. It was on Lexington in, like, 45th or 46th or something. I don't know. It was it, – it, I think it was as deep into the belly of the corporate beast as I've ever gone in my life and career because oh, yeah. I've never worked anything really corporate. Um, but, you know, we had to wear that, like, stripey shirt the, that they used to wear, the red and white striped right. shirt, with suspenders. Yes. We had to wear suspenders. And wearing suspenders means you have to tuck your shirt in. And who tucks? I didn't tuck back Not then. But anyway, we were encouraged to add flair. So that was that's along with, like, your sparkly barrettes and things right. like that. You had to individualize yourself and add flair. And flair was all kinds of, like, buttons and pins and bells and whistles that you would put all over your suspenders and your shirt oh. to personalize it. So it was like, well, you are a corporate drone, but we want you to be unique and individual. Right. Right. And that was a way to, like, increase tips because the more flair you had, it would be a conversation starter with your guests. Ah. Right. 
So you're making a connection. You're making a connection. But of course, I wanted to put like political, you know, buttons and, you know. Yeah, that's no bueno. Like the little anarchy sign and yeah. stuff like that. And, and, you know, the Reese Corporation did not look too fondly upon that. No. Because that's who owned Fridays at the time. Basically, I wanted to kill myself right. working there. And um, it didn't really, <coughs> it didn't last for very long. And it was during the first couple weeks of the Gulf, the first Gulf War. Oh, wow. And the manager decided we would have a drink special called the Saddam. Saddam, he said, the Saddam Slam. It was a drink special. It had, like, ice cream in it. Oh, my. Uh-huh. And I refused. I was like, I'm not going to sell that. I'm not going to tell people to drink a Saddam Slam as we're, like, bombing the shit out of the Gulf. And he was like, well, you have a bad attitude, and you're fired. I was like, okay, goodbye. Right. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I'm sure you have not encountered that sort of thing. In fact, I have not. (coughs) Thankfully. Thankfully. Now, do we think that it's because when you get outside of the city, the labor pool changes? I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but we've seen this in our consulting work outside of the city. Yes. The challenges of hiring. What do you think that's about? Is it the different labor pool, different expectations? Well, I think, you know, in... In the city, it's a legitimate job, and you can make some serious bank. I yeah. mean, the people that I've worked with at any level, um, front of house or back of house, are adults, and they're working in this industry because they know they can make some money mm-hmm. or they can work their way up to really making some great money. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I worked at Balthazar for seven years, and the busboys I worked with were not boys. They were men. Right. They were grown people. They put children through college. They bought homes for their extended family. They still work there, so they're approaching 20 years working for this business. Right. But they were, they were professionals. Those men knew knew the job. They were fantastic. I love those guys. It's like the European model where you're a right. professional server. Right, yeah. right. And, of course, some of them had degrees in higher yeah. education that they couldn't use in this country. But then you go out of the city, and then it's high school kids. Yeah. You know, or it's um, people who are juggling three jobs and, okay, waiting tables or busing tables or working at a counter is a job that fits in schedule-wise. So I can do the overnight shift at the hospital, and I can mm-hmm. do the, you know, job at the Quickie Mart, and I can waitress here. Right. So it's, um, you see a very different, you know, group of people. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think in... I feel like I see both the hardworking types who are juggling three ti- three jobs and the sort of, I need a job and I have no other skills, right. so I'll take this job. Right. You don't have that like deep pool of thousands of creative types and aspiring actors and performers yeah. and all the people who are drawn to cities because of what they are, who then can also be very good communicators and they're performers, so Correct. they're, because wait, service is all a performance. Correct. It's all about that, you right. know, which is why actors and singers tend to be, tend to be really good at it. Um, so how do you tailor your service training to make that work? Like, you know, what, like, does the service model change if you're training, like, a sort of chic New York restaurant versus, you know, like when we were in New Jersey working at White Maple? You know, how did you um, tailor it that well, way? Well, I've definitely had clients, and it's whether it's at a small mom and pop or a more established place, that no matter what, they think if they're hiring a uh, qualified staff, they need to do less training. Mm. And I'm always like, oh no, watch out because you still have to train them on your brand, on your standards, on the way you're going to do things. And just because somebody has done it before doesn't mean they know you at all. Mm -hmm. And as a representative of you, you have to train them. You have to go through all the steps. So the first thing is most people are like, oh, you know how to do this? Then no problem. You're fine. Jump right in. Yeah. 
So um, what I found, though, is the length of training makes a difference when you're working with people who have done it before versus people who have never done it. So um, when we did that uh, Asian fusion quick serve restaurant, our training went from five days to, I think, eight or nine days because we were basically teaching them a second language. Yeah. And, you know, what what are these ingredients? And, um, you know, then what do we do with these ingredients, which were also methods that people were not familiar with. Right. And in that place, it was it was sort of the opposite challenge. You didn't have this pool of highly articulate communicate, you know, communicative, educated people who wanted to make good money because that was a quick service concept. So it was really not quite minimum wage, but, you know, we weren't paying very much. And right. so you get the person who would work there or work maybe at like a Starbucks or like a That's you know, right. Pret, but they had exactly, they didn't have uh, that vocabulary. Oh, look at that. Okay. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back more about hospitality-ness with Kate Edwards, we'll be right back. And the name of the break song here is Chill Sesh by our very own Soy, otherwise known as Malcolm, our intern. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food, and also other things, too, sometimes. And we're sitting down here in the fallout shelter today with Kate Edwards, yay, my buddy, and fellow sea otter aficionado. Love and lover. We love them so, so much. I know. And we love tiny things, too. Um, so we're talking about service today and the corporatization, foodinessization really of service this kind of like generic smiley face happy to serve you totally insincere right kind of service that i guess I, when I, I don't know is that a new thing it's i feel like in a way corporate customer service has gotten worse over the past few years except in very specific companies well i feel like the trend right now is towards um authenticity yeah so anything that is inauthentic is really inauthentic it really just smacks of insincerity yeah so um you know to have these scripts that are um require you to smile and say them a certain way are just oh they just really go against what the common trend Mm -hmm. is right now so it it, and it's hard to say some of these things again and again and again Mm -hmm. i mean i know even when i was a waitress just repeating things again and again with some level of enthusiasm to make it you know, to sell it or to make it sound interesting was hard. Never mind if you have a slogan that you have to use every single day of the year. Ugh. That's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that could make you really lose your mind. I yeah. was just reading about Trader Joe's and their expansion within New York because they're opening a couple of new stores because, as we know, as Trader Joe's shoppers, they're extremely overcrowded. And um, someone said that at Trader Joe's, you know, I find the cashiers at Trader Joe's super nice, friendly, really right. warm. And it seems very genuine and very authentic, but they apparently had in, tried to um, start this policy of enforced interaction or mandatory mm. interaction where the cashiers were required 
to ask personal questions of the guests or of the shoppers, you know, like huh. other than just like, hi, how you doing today? Like, oh, what do you use that for? What do you, how, why do you eat that? What do you do for a living? Like things like that. And the shoppers were like really bulky about that. Right. Like really didn't like it because it's creepy. Right. And sort of invasive. And it was like in this attempt to seem even more authentic, they were de-authenticating themselves Ooh. because it seemed like this weird... Like, I like the guy who checks me out at Trader Joe's when he's friendly and nice and we chat, but I have to be the one to kind of lead right. the dance there. Right. You know? So that's a little bit bizarre. Have you ever encountered that sort of thing where you're like... In, it's like this enforced personal question asking... Um, well, I, what I think what comes to mind for me is um, the idea of feedback and trying to gain feedback from your guests. So, you know, how are you using this, the snap peas, you know, and seeing are yeah. people just keeping them in the bag and steaming them? Or are they taking them out of the bag? Or are they feeding it to their cat? Like, what are they doing with this product? So I can sort of understand Understand that a little bit, but then it also brings to mind, I was working with a client recently and they um, have these... Uh, I guess it's like a uh, a company that'll come and assess the service so that there's certain marks that they have to hit in order to be graded well. And one of them was customer engagement. Mm. And so, and I find that that's a theme right now, customer engagement. Are our customers engaged with us? Are our customers engaged with our staff? Is it a conversation as opposed to just a, you know, did you find a everything okay today? Yeah, and bye, thanks so much. So um, I think that actually is a trend for for engaging customers and having a some sort of meaningful moment with them, mm. um, but it's tricky because it has to be it has it can't be canned. It can't right. be a list of questions that are okay to ask. It has to somehow come out of that moment. Because also a key thing to good service is the idea of reading the guest. And if the guest is sort of on their phone and not interested, and you start into a, a barrage of questions, it's not going to make any sense. Yeah. You know, same if you're going to a table as a waiter and they're having a romantic moment. And you're like, hey, how's your swordfish? You know, <laughs> right. they don't care. You know, you just you don't. That's not when Go you away. approach. So I mean, there has to be a sensitivity to the moment and to the person and what they want from that uh, moment together. Mm-hmm. So you have to really be able to read people's faces and body language and that's gestures, right. which leads me to my next question, which is about millennials. Yes, because millennials are sort of the next big, huge labor group, or they are the big labor group now in the labor pool. And there have been studies about millennials and people who have grown up with, with digital technology and social media and that they're losing their ability to read facial cues and expressions because they text instead of interacting. They don't make phone right. calls. They don't have conversations. And, you know, of course, every, all these sort of alarmist reports about millennials not being able to do that. So how, what's going to happen when these like, millions and millions of people are entering the job market and they don't know how to read people's facial expressions or body right. language you know you can't text with a customer right well maybe you can maybe you can maybe you if go it up goes to the table, well right maybe you can get that well. number yeah. <laughs> little tinder swipe yeah, exactly but you know you can't just walk up to the table and text you know can i right no exactly yeah well i think a little bit of is there's there's a skill involved right how do you engage with people and then practicing those skills because i i know that most people when they start doing this you're talking to strangers again and again and again and it's a sales job you know like what would you like and oh would you like to try this and hey try a little more of that so learning that skill is something something that does take, take some time. So I would I would like to think that we could train these folks to be a little more in tune with people. But on the flip side, I also feel like um, 
the millennial generation back to that authenticity and back to having more meaningful or real experiences. There's a group of people as well who are trying to get away from all the, mm-hmm. you know, the computerized stuff, the, you know, and creating real connections where they go mm-hmm. um, by, you know, finding like-minded people, et cetera. Right. You know, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to go one way or the other, but it is interesting to find that mm-hmm. people are less inclined or, or less uh, knowledgeable about how to connect with people face to face. Right. I mean, millennials are craving authenticity, but may not necessarily be equipped right. socially to create those sorts of environments. Right. Not to bash millennials. Sorry, Jack. Although you're already older than... I think you've already out- aged Yeah, out. I was going to ask, what are the parameters? Like, who, what, what, what constitutes a millennial? I can't even remember. I don't even know. Yeah, I think it's now up to... to 2000? 80 to 2000? Isn't that what it is? Or is it 70? Gen X goes up to... I don't know. It's just we need, anybody we to younger. Google that, yeah. Yeah. But the, a what person I, reaching young adulthood around the year 2000. Oh, is that what it said? Oh, wow. That's one definition oh. here. All right. Well, there you go. That's you. I guess that's me. Yeah. But you're very good at reading social cues and interacting <laughs> with people. You're not like them. But, um, you, you know, this idea of authenticity, I mean, I think if you talk to people who work in advertising or in marketing, like that's what it's all about right now, you know, real and rustic and authentic right. and that whole kind of experience, which is, of course, immediately being co-opted by big of corporations. Course. Right. We've talked about this, like the Cisco trucks. So Cisco, if you don't know what that is, is this gigantic food service vendor they sell you know everything produce meat dairy like anything you need for your restaurant light bulbs (laughs) paper towels mops like uniforms if you need it you get it from cisco and in some places when you open a restaurant you have no other choice you have to use cisco they're almost like the mafia (laughs) like they you don't have any other options than cisco and cisco has these trucks driving around new york now where the sides are painted to look like chalkboards and there's this, like, sort of very rustic-y, like, chalk, you know, fresh, local, blah, 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 and pictures of produce, and it's all, like, warm and fuzzy. And that, I mean, it's so transparent. It just makes me crazy, you know, and it's just, like, ugh, like, taking that whole, it's, like, here, it's, like, taking the, like, Roberta's Brooklyn Bushwick aesthetic and slapping it on every Cisco truck across the country. Right. You know, and, I like, I could see how corporate America, you know, would want to sort of hire, you know, somebody like you and say, can you please make our servers more like... You know, those people who work at Roberta. Right. <laughs> Have you had requests for anything like that to sort of decorporatize? Mostly it's more, can you make them talk nicely? Can oh. you make them more professional? You know, can you um, can you make them more knowledgeable? Mm. I find those are more the requests oh, okay. that I get. Okay. Yeah. Because, and people, I think the people who hire you also, you know, are looking for very higher polished professionals for the, <coughs> the places that... Um, that you work. I wanted to get back, oh, we're almost out of time, to the um, gender thing, too, because we talked right. about um, wearing sparkly barrettes and things like that. And if you just had anything you wanted to add about that, you know, from all your years of working in the industry, do you remember a few years ago there was a case with a big catering company where clients were requesting male-only servers oh. for events? Yeah, great performances. They're a huge caterer. And they had very high-end clients who said, for our events, we only want men as our wow. servers. Yeah, because of the way it looked or, or, you know, whatever, which is totally illegal, and you can't do that. 
But um, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, have you encountered that sort of sexism at the high end? People only want the men on the tables or? Well, I know when I was younger and going for jobs back in the day as a waiter, you would have to show up in an eight by 10 photograph and they would go to these open calls where they would look you up and down and say you could go into the interview or you couldn't. You could pass or not pass because they were looking for a look. This was like the 90s, you know, trendy restaurant thing. And that was perfectly acceptable. Absolutely acceptable. And, you know, you would regularly submit, you know, a photograph with your resume. And people to this day will still do that. It's not as prevalent now, but even like my last job as a manager, so this is like 2006, um, I would get eight by tens sent to me. Wow. And then sometimes not even a resume, but like a little note saying like, gosh, I hope you're hiring. I'm like, oh, wow. Very alluring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that used to be the norm. And now that's changed. But what I find is that people have a picture of the server that they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, and I put the emphasis on the R because very often it is a male server, right? Depending on the style. Sometimes it is a female server though, too. They want a certain look, like typically cocktail waitresses, yeah, right? Right. Um, but I find that the higher level you go, it's actually really hard to find a uniform for a female server so that she looks equal to a male server. Mm-hmm. So in higher end restaurants, you put a suit on a man, he's in charge. You put a suit and a tie on a woman, she looks goofy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> tie, right. Yeah. It's really, it's almost demeaning that a woman wears a tie. It's um, asexual and it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't jive in the right way. Mm. So how do you give the woman who is a server the same authority in your high-level restaurant as a man without making her look like she's, you know, a service monkey somehow, you know, dressed right. up for the job like and still authoritative? Right, yeah, it doesn't, there's something that doesn't translate. And mm. I, I haven't cracked the code personally because I've been looking for that kind of look. Because if the woman shows up in a dress, she's now the hostess. Right. She's not the right. server, you know? Yeah. And as a manager... People knew I was the manager wearing a suit and a, you know, a shirt. I didn't have to wear a tie, but because I could express my own color palette. But when you put people in the same colors and side by side, the men look more authoritative because they have a tie on. So I I find that's a, that's a very difficult thing to sort of break through. Well, they should have been wearing sparkly barrettes. Maybe that's the key. Yeah, I think that's right. the key. That's right. how I command authority. I put sparkly barrettes in my yeah. one inch Well, it's, it spells out boss. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's shiny bling. Exactly. Yeah. And um, just a couple minutes left, but um, how does the trend toward no tipping impact what you do and the training that you do? And are, have you thought about that, how you're going to have to alter the way you train people at all? It's because really they're not working for tips anymore. They're just working. It's right. sort of this great leveler in a right. way. Well, I think the um, the service culture is really the most important thing you can build at a restaurant, whether people are getting tipped or not. And the idea of being hospitable to people is something that restaurants need to spend more time on than they do, because it's hard to serve people and then go to, you know, then change modes internally. And there's no service culture. There's no kindness to others. There's no, let's make your day better. Um, so I personally think it's about the culture first. And if you can build the service culture, you know, interpersonally on your team, then it's going to be easier to do it with your guests as well. But um, I would hope that people don't lose the desire to serve or desire to help um, just because they're making an hourly wage. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you know, I know I was a waitress for a long time and it is very motivational, but it's also motivational to have people smile and thank you and really be appreciative as well because mm-hmm. you, you help make their night or you, you know, got them something that they really appreciated or turned them on to something new. That feedback so, loop. Yeah, exactly. So, so that, I hope, would be satisfying enough for people as well. Um, 
I mean, that, that's like the underlying um, theme of your book. I just want to make sure we mention your book here. Oh, thank you. Whoops, I just kicked my phone onto the floor. Um, your book, Hello and Every Little Thing. Yes. After that, which I love when you were first talking about doing the book, how you said that you wanted it to be about how, you know, service isn't just service in a restaurant. Service is it, it, it's in everything in our lives, all our interactions and everything stems from that. Right. Right. And if you sort of create a service culture around yourself or whatever you do, it has the sort of um, exponential effect of, you know, sort of making everybody else around you. And I know, like, I tend to be a little, you know, dark cloud negative. Some, you know me. But I, just from reading your book and just from sort of thinking about that, I've tried to be more of a sort of open, oh, the spaceship just landed. Welcome, welcoming, sort of more service-oriented kind of person. That way, once I got over my resentment, which right, <laughs> which is difficult. You know, right. it's hard when you live in a city like New York too, where you feel such sort of inequality and it's such a struggle, and you know, people can be such assholes here. Right. That um, I always find it's hard to kind of get beyond that resentment and re- maintain a sort of open, more service-minded. Outlook, Right. You know? Well, it is hard. And I, I always say this when I'm training people. It's hard to work with strangers. It's really hard. Yeah. You know, because you might put it out there in the best way and they could just not be feeling you. Yeah. And so you're not going to get it back at all. So, you know, you have to sort of rise above a little bit and just know that I'm just putting it out in the universe and it's going to come back somehow. And it always does, mm. but just not always in the way you expect. But I mean, I maintain that service is about impacting another human being by making their life better. It's not necessarily about making your life better. And sure, we feel good when we make something nice for someone, but even if it doesn't work out, if it's not so nice or if it's, yeah, it's, well, that's what it's supposed to be. So who cares? I'm not supposed to, you know, say thank you for that. But, um, I think it's that making things better for people that is, that's part of the satisfaction and that's part of the fun. And that's part of what sort of inspires you to go out every day and try it again. Try it again. I mean, it's the golden rule, right? It's what we all learned in kindergarten right. and to others. Right. I think we tend to lose sight of that just a little bit. Right. Um, we're out of time, but I'm going to tell you one more secret, and that is um, I also worked very briefly at Chili's. Nice. Uh-huh. I waited tables. I really want to see evidence of this. Chili's. <laughs> I don't have any because I – how would I have evidence? Like a pay stub? I didn't save any of that. A photo? <laughs> a photograph, yeah, I'm thinking. I don't think a button? Were, I don't think I allowed That's any photos to be taken of myself between 1988 and 19. 19- 98 probably but yes I worked at Chili's very briefly there was one in the East Village right near where you used to, right on 3rd Avenue and 12th Street what there was a Chili's there mm-hmm. it was the only one that ever opened in Manhattan and it failed freak out uh-huh. I don't even remember it yeah it was in 90 like maybe 90 91 92 whoa uh huh when we were neighbors but didn't yeah. know each other there was a Chili's wow uh huh and I got hired and the guy said he hired me because I smiled in the interview. But then, yet again, wanted to kill myself. Right. Couldn't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. You were destined for the back of the I house. I was destined for back of the house, for sure. Well, thanks so much for joining us here. Well, thank down you. Down in the shelter. I'm hungry. Let's go eat something. Let's do it. And uh, anytime you want to come back and talk about service, you're so welcome. I'd be delighted. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. All right. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, Jack Inslee. Second to last week. Thanks, Ben Kaplan, for the music. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.